0: I'm Rob Goldstone, editor of Current Directions in Psychological Science. This is our second podcast in what will hopefully be a long series of at least more than two podcasts. Today, our guest is Isabel Gautier, the David K. Wilson Professor of Psychology at Vanderbilt University and head of the Object Perception Lab there. She is a forthcoming article in Current Directions in Psychological Science titled, What We Could Only Learn About Holistic Face Processing from Non Face Objects. Welcome, Isabel. Thank you. So, I'd like to start our conversation with a word that appears in the very title of your article, a word that means very different things to different people. That word is holistic as in holistic perception. What does it mean for you for perception to be holistic?
1: Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a great question. And I'm glad that you ask it in this way. You said, what does it mean for you? Um, and that's a good way to ask it because it means different things to a lot of different people who study uh, perception and face recognition. So, um, you know, holistic perception um, has been used to describe a theoretical construct but also um, kind of a, an effect that you measure um, and in this article I talk about work that we do in um, measuring individual differences and when you measure individual differences um, it, it it becomes p- pretty clear that um, the field as a whole does not have a good sense for what the you know, theoretical construct of holistic processing would be because different measures that have been used all to measure. You know, everybody says we're measuring holistic uh, processing; they don't correlate with one another, right? So, okay. for me, if you ask me, what do I mean, and and what's my starting point? Because of the state of the field, I like to kind of backtrack and start at an effect that we have a good. Um, grasp on. So um, we specifically are interested in um, what we call failures of selective attention. So when when you have people look at faces or objects and you tell them to make a judgment about part of it, so let's say just the eyes of of a face, and you tell them to ignore other parts of the face, so let's say the mouth and the nose, uh, because you might or might not change them, Uh, which could affect their decision if they attend to them but you're saying no no, just use the eyes when you show that people um, can't do that right Um, they can't ignore the other parts then um, you know because they they fail to selectively attend uh, we call that um, uh, a a holistic processing effect and we're interested in it because um, it has been repeatedly shown to be you know a very strong effect for faces but is typically not observed for non-face objects um, in, in most conditions. So So we really start with that effect. And even though you know most of the time it's nice to be able to start at a higher level than this in this field, there's so much confusion that it's good to kind of start there first um, and kind of try to see how far up you can go explaining what's going on um, you know, based, based on that effect.
0: Yeah. Great, thanks for for that clarification. Um, Throughout your career, you have made effective use of brain imaging techniques to reveal neural mechanisms of visual perception and learning. Are there particular parts of the brain devoted to holistic versus analytic processing, or is that just the wrong way to think about how the brain divvies up perceptual tasks?
1: so, yes, what, what we have found over a number of studies, and, and consistent with other people's work, too, is that um, the the face-selective areas in extra striate cortex, in particular the fusiform face area, um, tends to, um, it will become selective for objects for which you have developed a certain kind of expertise, and that Kind of expertise we often we call it holistic expertise because it's not just any kind of expertise with objects that will lead to this. So if you if you learn to individuate objects um, that are you know very visually similar to one another, like different birds or different cars, or we do this with novel objects sometimes. So if you learn to individuate them, let's say associate a name with each individual object, uh, and you get really good at it. Um, uh, we can measure holistic processing, so those failures of selective attention that I was um, I was describing before. And what we find is that if this happens, if you process these objects holistically, behaviorally in the scanner, we also see increases of selectivity for these objects in the fusiform face area. And we have even uh, correlated the extent of holistic processing and the selectivity uh, in the in the Fusiform face area, or FFA, to these objects. So I wouldn't say FFA is a is a is an area devoted to holistic processing, but holistic processing is has been a good marker um, for um, you know as a hallmark of the kind of um, expertise that recruits this area.
0: Great. Okay very interesting, um, uh, different perspective on what FFA is doing than I've heard before. And it fits with uh, the general argument that you make in your article for an integrated understanding of how people perceive faces on the one hand and how they perceive other objects like can openers, cars, canaries, on the other hand. Um, And This is an interesting argument that you're arguing for this integration between these uh, different object perception categories, because there's a long history in psychology of people claiming that faces are special in some ways, partly because of what you were just saying before, that there's parts of the brain like the FFA that are specialized for the processing of faces, and also because newborn infants So unique responses to faces compared to other objects, including upside down faces. So in what ways do you think face perception is and is not special?
1: Hmm. Um, Yeah, that's a big question. (laughs) And it does relate to several um, aspects of my work. I, I would say that I see face perception as specialized, right? So it's Special because something has specialized it and I've been that's kind of what I've been studying um, uh, you know for a long time so I don't deny all of the behavioral or neural effects whereby faces um, you know are processed differently than, than non-face objects but I actually do not know of any um, of these effects that cannot be somehow replicated under the right conditions for non-face objects mm-hmm. so um, so, so, so faces are interesting uh, as as a kind of expertise, and and there's a bunch of other kinds of expertise that we have. But you know, of course, faces is uh, face perception is is especially interesting because it's nearly universal. So it's very. Um, it's very easy to find people who are really good at face recognition or at least have had a lot of experience with faces. Um, And and that's part of the the reason I gave this title to this paper and kind of pointed out that if you want to try to understand some of the reasons why faces are special, it may be um, uh, less than ideal to actually study that with faces. Because if experience is involved, And especially if you're interested in um, uh, using individual differences in experience, it's very hard to get enough of a range in um, in experience uh, with faces because even those of us who may not have as much you know have have had as much experience with faces as others, we still have had a whole lot more um, than um, you know with the kind of objects that we use in the lab, and yet we can get. Uh, face-like effects in a few hours, you know, in in our studies, and so, um, and some of these effects are very large. So within 10 hours of training with objects, we get, we get, um, you know, effects of holistic processing that are about 75% of the effect size that you get with faces. But so that's just 10 hours. So it would be hard right. to find someone out there who doesn't have you know 10 hours of experience with faces. Um, so. Um, so, so face perception is is, is is special in many ways. And if you want to understand why, some you, you kind of have to, to um, uh, take a step back and, and kind of try to replicate some of these effects with other things.
0: Great. Great. Um, so just to be a little bit more concrete, can mm-hmm. you describe some experimental procedures that you think are well-positioned to... Bear on the question of whether perception is holistic, kind of run me through what it would be like as a subject showing um, a failure to selectively attend, as you called it.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, the, the most famous task in, um, in this area that's been used quite a bit uh, is called the composite paradigm. Um, so let's say you were you can do this with, with non-face objects, and we do it all the time, but I'll just use face as an example. Um, so, so let's say you, you grab a bunch of images of faces and you cut them in half about um, in the middle, You know, kind of at, at the bridge of the nose, and then you reorganize them, right? So that's what a composite is uh, in, in this context. And so you can, let's say you have a simple task. This has been done many different ways, but the, the, a simple paradigm would be a, a same different task where you show a first composite, so you have a top and a bottom of two different people um, that are joined together to make a new face you've never seen and um, you ask people to only pay attention to the top of this image so maybe you see this image for a second it disappears you see a second composite of again made out of two um, a top and a bottom so two different uh, uh, parts of faces and you just are supposed to judge whether the, the top of this image is the same as the one that you had just studied. So you're making a same different judgment about the tops, and you're asked very clearly to ignore the bottom half. Um, and um, the bottom half in some trials might be the same as the bottom that was presented in the first image that so might be congruent and in other trials it might be incongruent now the, the congruency of the bottom part is supposed to be irrelevant and that's what we're measuring here right is whether uh, we see an effect of the congruency of the part that we're asking people to ignore and when you do this task with non-face objects um, you find that people have absolutely no problem ignoring the parts that they're told to ignore. Um, but uh, with faces, that's not what you find. So you find that uh, people tend to use all of the information that's presented. And so that's where we start when we're interested in, in trying to figure out, you know, what's going on is as we ask ourselves, how are we going to replicate this effect with non-face objects?
0: Great. So do you get situations where if people are trying to say whether the tops are the same, they're um, distracted or they're influenced by whether the bottoms are the same and also vice versa. So if they were to be making judgments on the bottoms, they're also influenced by whether the tops were the same. Because that, to me, that would seem to be uniquely good evidence to say that those two things, the tops and the bottoms are being processed together, dare I say, holistically.
1: Yes, so you're correct. That's what that's um, essentially our, our, our measure of, of holistic processing is that we find that people are um, their, their judgments are um, uh, both less accurate and often also a little slower when the irrelevant part whether it's the top or the bottom so it really works both ways um, is uh, is is inconsistent or incongruent with um, the, the the initial phase that they've studied um, and in fact it doesn't have to be just top or bottom we've we've um, created um, tasks where it, it might just be a very small part of a face like let's say just the eyebrows or just the nose or just the mouth um, and you have to ignore the other parts sometimes we have people pay attention to a very large part part of the image and they have to ignore a small part, whichever way we do it, what we find is always a tendency for people to kind of, they're unable to follow our instructions, which is don't pay attention to this other part, they're always using that information anyway.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the feeling I'm getting is that there's this tight connection between holistic processes of perception and experience. Would you go as far to say that what it means to become experienced with a class of objects is that you come to process them holistically in your sense of failure to attend just to the one thing that you're interested in?
1: Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a good question. So I would not equate um, experience with a category with holistic processing because we know that it's not all kinds of experience with um, with objects that lead to this so in in some uh, past work we have compared um, two different training situations with the same objects and so they were novel objects and we were giving people the same amount of experience with these objects but in one case they were learning to individuate them in the other case they were doing kind of more basic level um, uh, categorization but we made the past kind of difficult and challenging in, in, in other ways. And so you know, they were still attending to the objects, they were seeing them a lot, uh, they were improving overall, but only those people who had learned to individuate the objects developed holistic processing for them. And then also um, the more holistic processing behaviorally that they develop, um, the more selectivity we see in the fusiform gyrus when they're, uh, when we scan these people later with, with other examples of the same category. So it's, it is related to experience, um, but, um, it is not, um, any kind of experience that will do it.
0: Gotcha. Great thanks for that uh very clear answer um with an eye on the time i'd like to ask you just one final question which is um Related to individual differences. So you were just describing task differences that would Mm -hmm. lead or not lead to holistic processes. But what about uh, consistent individual differences in whether people engage in holistic and analytic processing? Do you find them? And if so, do they correlate with other individual differences?
1: Yeah. So thanks for asking this question because we we have had to work a whole lot to get an answer on this one. Uh, because to ask this question about individual differences, you first need a reliable measure of holistic processing. And when we um, started to work on this several years ago, um, that's the first thing we realized is that even though the measures were very good at detecting the average um, effect of holistic processing, it was very, very bad at... at measuring individual differences in a reliable way so once we were able to i'll spare you you know two years we spent you know designing that task but once we had a measure that basically had strong internal consistency um so the different trials all contributed to the same um the, the same the same construct um we then were able to demonstrate uh six months test retest Reliability, right? So, so this is the first thing you want to know: is if if you're measuring individual differences here, are there more than um, just a state, you know, in the moment that you're capturing? And now we were able to show that uh, for face recognition, when we measure holistic processing, there really are individual differences that that are stable. Um, we have, uh, shown that they do not correlate with general intelligence. That's mm-hmm. always a good thing to check because, you know, general intelligence tends to, uh, correlate with everything. Mm-hmm. And we have also, um, been able to show that it does not correlate with, um, other, uh, measures of, uh, uh, measures of cognitive control, like the common variants that you would get among different Stroop tasks and Flanker tasks. So <laughs> those are tasks that, um, have a component. I mean they, they they measure a congruency effect that's very similar to what we measure in holistic processing. And yet um the 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 common variance among these tasks is not does not predict holistic processing for faces at all. Um, so yeah, so overall there's kind of no evidence for some kind of What I would call a domain general contribution, you know, the fact that some people would just have a harder time ignoring irrelevant information. Mm -hmm. Um, That does not seem to be uh, what's going on. It seems to really be specific to a domain so that when we train people um, with a specific category for a certain amount of time, we can show holistic processing growing and, and, and rising with increasing levels of
0: experience, individuating these objects. Great, great answer. Um, and so we have been speaking with Professor Isabel Gautier of Vanderbilt University. I've greatly appreciated your work on cognitive neuroscience and vision over the years. And I greatly appreciate your perspicacious remarks today. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you for the opportunity.